0: Support for this podcast and the following message come from WISE, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With WISE, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how WISE could work for you at WISE.com.
1: This is State of Ukraine from NPR News. I'm Steve Inskeep with NPR's best reporting on a war that is changing the world. It isn't hard to find Ukrainians who are unimpressed by Western aid to their country. Consider the words of Daniel Bielok, a former advisor to past Ukrainian prime ministers, as heard today on our podcast Up First.
0: It looks as if the West is happy to fight Putin down to the last Ukrainian, and it does not have the courage of its own convictions. And this is now a moral issue. After Bucha, if NATO does not have moral clarity around this issue then it starts to bear moral culpability.
1: He's referring to a town from which Russian troops withdrew last week, leaving behind the bodies of many civilians. So what are the United States and its NATO allies doing? The Biden administration talks of announcing more sanctions today. Western Europe is taking another step away from its dependence on Russian energy, talking of a ban on Russian coal. At the United Nations, Ukraine's president yesterday called for the organization to act or reshape itself so that it can act. Russia's veto at the Security Council makes serious action unlikely, which led to a question that our Leila Fadl posed to State Department spokesman Ned Price. Let's listen to their conversation.
2: Has the UN been ineffective?
3: Well, you are going to see the United States take action this week. We are seeking Russia's suspension from the Human Rights Council. What we know is that we cannot let a member state of that council that is subverting every principle that we hold dear to continue to call itself a member. Uh, And in recent weeks alone, we have seen a vast majority of the world's countries in the UN General Assembly stand up to Russia's aggression. 141 countries, 140 140 countries uh, in respective votes have done just
2: that. But Mr. Price, what will that actually do to change the situation on the ground? Because some parts... Of the of the country outside of Kyiv have been liberated from Russian forces But as we speak other parts of Ukraine are besieged. What will removing Russia from the Human Rights Council actually do?
3: Well, number one, removing Russia from the Human Rights Council will correct a wrong, uh, a a fundamental wrong that a country like Russia that is committing war crimes, that is using, as I said before, that very seat for the sole purpose of propaganda to spread lies and disinformation, Mm -hmm. uh, that will correct a fundamental injustice. But that is not the entirety of our strategy, of course. We are going to continue to support Ukraine militarily, Uh, to support Ukraine economically, to support the Ukrainian people uh, with humanitarian assistance, just as we continue to tighten the pressure uh, on the Kremlin. And you're going to see additional uh, important action on that latter front today. Not only do both of these things help Ukraine on the battlefield, uh, but it actually strengthens Ukraine's hand at the negotiating table.
2: You talked about other announcements today. And as I mentioned, top of the agenda in Brussels is the levying of even more robust sanctions. But Mr. Price, can economic sanctions really have their intended impact without the cooperation of China and India? What is the Biden administration doing to try to bring those two nations into alignment with the U.S. and Europe?
3: Well, we are here in Brussels with our NATO allies, with our G7 partners uh, from around the globe. And when we act together with this set of allies and partners, the United States uh, and this constellation of countries, we constitute more than 50 percent of global GDP, no other collection of countries uh, that is uh, that has shown any degree of uh, real cooperation can come close to that. Uh, mm-hmm. So yes, absolutely, our measures can have bite. And I think what you've seen in the past couple days, as the scale of atrocities uh, has become clear, mm-hmm. you have seen countries uh, like India condemn in no uncertain terms what Russia is doing. Uh, so Russia, in its own horrifying way. Is in some manner doing our job for us, uh, sending a very clear signal to the world uh, that countries have to stand up.
2: U.S. State Department spokesman Ned Price speaking to us from Brussels. Thank you for taking the time.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Residents of Ukraine are now preparing for a longer war, and to some, That means returning to their normal jobs, however abnormal conditions may be. Our colleague Scott Detrow visited a bakery in the city of Ivano-Frankivsk.
0: Voslavosh is a small bakery just off the city's main pedestrian thoroughfare. The walls are bright yellow. The display is, of course, filled with sweet and savory pastries.
4: Cherry, banana chocolate, uh, apple, and cheese.
0: Lubomir Kitral opened the bakery just a few months ago, this January. He insists we call him Louis. When the war began, Louis shut the bakery down. But two weeks later, he and his employees went back to work. Why?
4: There are three main things. The first thing is that people who came here, we need to feed them. People who came from Kharkiv, Odessa, other uh, big cities of Ukraine, they needed food.
0: Thousands of them have flocked to the relative safety of Ivano Frankivsk. The second reason was pretty basic. Louis
4: says his employees needed the income. And the, the final thing is that uh, during the first days of war, uh, our government was calling on business owners to reopen, and this business can be reopened, and we can work even during the air air strike alarms.
0: There have been some changes. Curfews mean the bakery's hours are shorter, and that means salaries are lower. In the back of the bakery, Nadia Nastuyashcha is rolling out dough for
4: kachapori. We were very happy about that because um, we lost our job and we were waiting for that moment when they will
0: call us again. As she sprinkles cheese on top of the dough and pushes it in, she admits that like many people in ivano frankivsk she started sleeping through the air raid sirens. To be honest, we have um, a small child, so we do not get up. When you look at the customers coming in and out, and out the windows, at the buses and the streets full of people, things seem normal. Louis is
4: quick to insist. They're not. Today in the morning I was uh, looking at pictures from Bucha, and I think that this is a catastrophe of uh, world scale, of planetary scale. And I think this is a false idea that Ivano-Frankivsk or any other city can live normal life. The horrific images
0: of Bucha have just begun spreading across Ukraine the day we visited. Louis begins to cry. He steps away to compose himself.
4: Two minutes, please.
0: When Louis reopened the bakery, two of his employees had left ivano Frankis for Poland. So he hired two people who had come from elsewhere in Ukraine. Maria Nowitzka is one of them. Three days into the war, she decided she needed to flee her home in Kiev.
1: Oh, it was a hard decision, uh, but it was fast.
0: So how quickly, how did you find this job?
1: Oh, uh, Maybe two weeks. I sit without job. <laughs> i just sit in a flat and read the news. And then I understand that war uh, will not end fast and decide to looking for a job.
0: She found an ad for this one. Two days later, it was hers. Do you like your job?
1: Oh, yes, yes.
0: <laughs> Before the war began, in Kyiv, Maria was an interior designer.
1: Yes, <laughs> very different. But it's a help to feeling good, feeling that I'm necessary, uh, <laughs> that I help in our economy. <laughs>
0: I mean. Svitlana and Nazari Kosik come in with their kids. Anna is three and Ilya is five. They pick out pastries.
4: Cake with chocolate and nuts here for Ilya, yeah. and also one with the raspberry. Ah, uh, I got
0: that too. It's really good. <laughs> Svetlana and the children went to Poland when the war began. They stayed in an apartment in Warsaw. But after a month, it was time to come home.
4: We are very happy. It's better to be home, and kids are very happy, too, because we really, really wanted to come back.
0: So, so you just got back then?
2: Friday. Friday.
0: They all went to church together this morning. The parents had promised Anna and Ilya a treat afterwards, and here they are. Still, the children get anxious when Nizari isn't right there after all the separation. And he and Svetlana get fleeting worries
4: about bringing the kids back to
2: Ukraine.
4: It's very hard for children to hear these sounds of uh, airstrike uh, alarm. It's hard for the kids to wake up in the middle of the night, and they just close themselves with the curtain or covers.
0: But, at least in this moment, they seem happy. It's Sunday morning, they've got chocolate and raspberry pastries, and all four of them are together.
1: Our colleague Scott Detrow in Ukraine. And this is State of Ukraine, NPR's best reporting on a war that is changing the world. Think of this podcast as a breaking news live blog for your ear. You get regular updates in this feed. Nina Kravinsky produced and Kelly Dickens edited this episode. I'm Stephen Skeep.
2: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Betterment. Confusing eye contact with a mysterious stranger is never chill. But Betterment is the investing app that lets you be totally chill about your finances. Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.